0: We would like to welcome you to our podcast created here at Glen Levin Presbyterian Day School in Nashville, Tennessee. My name is Debbie Ferguson, I'm the director here. We are a preschool that is recognized as a ministry of this church. We serve approximately 75 families and next year we'll be celebrating our 70th year of service. We're blessed to have many of our educators and our employee that have shared their talents and their passion for children for over 20 years. We decided to create this podcast for parents so that we could share our collective experience perspective from the things we have learned through our experience in professional development. This broadcast is in no way meant to be used as a professional diagnosis and it is based upon our personal experiences, knowledge, and opinions. We want to share some suggestions that we have tried and here's what has worked for us. Each child is different and this resource is only a tool to document how we've addressed these situations in the past. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Thank you so much for listening. Today I have with me uh, Beth Schubert who is our Assistant Director and Julie Murphy who is our Program Advisor. Our topic today will be Reggio Emilia as a Curriculum. So. Julie, if you'll start us off and just tell me, what does Reggio Emilia mean to you? What is it?
1: Well, it was a, um, a method of teaching. It is a method of teaching that comes from a small town in Italy um, called Reggio Emilia. Therefore, we um, are Reggio Emilia inspired, um, and that means it is an emergent curriculum. Um, we... We make our environments inviting to children, to adults, make it more home-like. And in that um, particular instance, when we have children come in, we want them to feel comfortable. We want them to feel like they can be themselves. And in that, we observe how they play. And when we observe how they play, we can decide on what to do with them next. In other words, we might observe them playing with a certain type of thing in a certain way or investigating something Um, and we take that and we run with it we expand on it Um, it is emergent therefore anything that they do we just continue to um, build on it it might go very differently one way than it does the next we might add things to the environment to help their investigation um and also, we as the teacher, the educator, are part of that process as well. We might um, investigate for them, as far as getting on the internet, even um, investigate even more that way. But um, primarily, it's just emergent curriculum, watching the child play, and building on
0: that. So, Beth, how how did we come to this? How did we get to Become a Reggio-inspired center.
2: Well, it started out with you visiting a Reggio-inspired center. That's true. And um, you were so impressed and excited that then you took me, and then you took me and Julie, and then you took me and Julie and Debbie, maybe. But um, we started in investigating. And we went to a bunch of centers, we went to workshops, we learned about it, we um, learned about its beginnings after World War II and why it even became um, a way of teaching because they didn't have anything after the war and they had to use what they had and repurpose things and just teach with what they had.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that I really love about regio is they really honor beautiful spaces and beautiful things for children and or anybody for everybody and i think that is something that got our attention i i know before i even knew what regio was um you know we were planning on doing our redoing our playground i actually remember getting like two hundred and thirty thousand dollar approval to all of these climbing, big spider, octopus-looking things in our playground, and I happened to had run into a colleague who was looking to change our. Um, that they were looking for a, a place in Nashville to create a natural playground. We didn't know what that was. And uh, so then as we started looking and, you know, it, that was the one thing I think that really made a difference was that we were able to um, make our outdoor space more beautiful and more park-like, and then we started seeing the effects of the kids, and I think that was the, the big thing for me. Um, so, Julie, you keep you you had mentioned emergent, and I've heard the terms project approach. Why do you think it's important for kids to learn in that manner? Why? What, what does that mean, actually? What does emergent mean? Well,
1: emergent means to me um, that it is emerging from their interests. So, if a child has a certain interest, for example, if they're interested in bugs, then rather than when you see a bug, even if your own personal opinion is you're scared of them and don't want to touch them, they're interested in them. And you take that and run with it. You, um, it is emergent because it is their interest. And one of the reasons that that is one of the best ways to teach is because they are interested in it. They are driving that interest. They are driving that lesson. Um, if we try to force feed them things, they're not going to listen. We want to develop
2: a love of learning.
0: So how do they learn the alphabet through
2: this method of curriculum? Can I use my shoe thing? Sure. Okay, so a couple weeks ago I was in our pre-K-3 room, and the teachers had just changed out the centers, and she had put – think cowboy boots and some sparkly shoes and something else in the dramatic play center and the kids found them they were looking at them and I said you can put those on and they didn't realize they could put them on and they were so excited and they started trying them on and trying each other's shoes on And the boys came over and they were trying them on, of course, laughing and stuff. But they all, and they started talking about shoes and they started talking about their shoes that they had at home. And I was thinking while I was standing there that this is a perfect example of um, like an organic observation because they were so into the shoes and I, in my head, the teacher and me started saying, oh, my gosh, that would be so cool. They could do a whole thing about shoes. They could count shoes. They could talk about shoes color. They could um, talk about shoes from different countries in traditional dress. Oh, wow. They could, I mean, there's so many options to use for shoes. Well, I'm just hearing all of the social
0: interaction. Right. That, you know, I mean, that's.
1: Well, and piggybacking on that, to answer your question about the alphabet, um, how do they learn the alphabet in this kind of curriculum? Well, you just employ it right in the middle of it. Just
2: Right. I mean, shoes. What does shoes start with? What mm-hmm. do pink shoes start with? Mm-hmm. Okay, those shoes are called pumps. What does that start? I mean, mm-hmm. you just, you use shoes instead of flashcards. Flash <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I and you're absolutely right. You know, one of my favorite all-time stories is the one of the praying mantis that we had. Um, a, a, a family that was very close to us knew that one of our teachers, Miss Rachel, was not a fan of bugs and brought in a praying mantis as a classroom pet, and uh, so Miss Rachel ended up having to put aside her fears on behalf of the kids because everybody was so excited about it. And they created a home space in the classroom. Um, I love that there were um, letters that they wrote to, you know, they started journaling, which is incorporating the, um, you know, the literacy piece of that uh, and the observation skills. And
1: they even wrote rules. One of the things I love they wrote rules about what you do with, um, the praying mantis's cage. They were. It was actually in an aquarium. Right. And so they came up with their own set of rules about not tapping on the glass, oh. or not knocking it over, not putting your hand inside. And of course, they. We know that they named her Mother Sarah, Mother of Many.
0: Yeah, after After we after found out that uh, <laughs> when she came to us, she was expecting. Right. And yeah. upon research, which is a whole nother arm and leg of learning. Uh, we found out that uh, praying mantises give birth to a thousand eggs, maybe? Something like that. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> um, and then another fact that we discovered was after uh, after she lays her eggs, then she has about two weeks to live. And um, so going through this whole process with, I mean, this was how long did that project? Study? Several months. Yeah. Maybe
1: four months. Yeah. Four or five months.
0: Because I know at the end, when Mother Sarah finally passed away and we had the funeral service and I, I thought it was, I mean, you think of the courage of, that the children had to muster up because we had eulogies that were offered. We had parents that attended that service. Um, I mean, that was such a life lesson in all kinds of learning aspects. Um, that we had. So that's one of my favorite of, of many. Mm-hmm. And and just revisiting here in this moment, I've still learned something else, another aspect that I didn't realize that they had written rules. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what is exciting about this particular curriculum because the story is always there. And um, And we'll talk about documentation in a minute. Beth, I wanted to ask you, so how do, you know, we, we're blessed. We're so blessed to have so many of our teachers that have been here for 25, 28, Miss Janice, 37. I mean, we, we've we got, we're just beyond beyond blessed to have folks that are here, um, you know, that have really devoted their careers and made this a, a career path for them here. And um, so why do you think uh, because we've, we've entertained and we've had a lot of different curriculums that we've used in the past. Why is this uh, so school-wide accepted by our teachers, our
2: educators? Well, it took a while for that. Um, it did. You're right. <laughs> I think once it was a process and we, we started out by changing the environments um, and that got them more interested in then the next thing. And it did take a quite a process. Um, everybody's in a different place in the process accepting it. But once they realize um, in how so many ways it's, I don't even want to say easier because it's not easier. It's more fluid. Maybe mm-hmm. that's it. Um, boundaries are down. It's more, of uh, more relaxed uh, when you're making your less It gives you a little more freedom, I think, in some ways. Yes, it's just boundaries are are, are down because you don't have to necessarily, well, we have to make sure that they do this today and everything. You can do more of like, all right, last week Sharon's kids made haunted houses and then they made a big haunted house Mm -hmm. out of boxes. Our kids always love boxes. Yeah, before. actually, I think the big box came before it the came small It came first one. before the mm-hmm. little ones. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and in that, I mean, that's um, math and mm-hmm. science and facing your fears. I mean, it's even emotionally. You know, if you draw a monster, you're less likely to be scared of monsters mm-hmm. because it takes you have control over it that. And so I just think that once they realize, now it took them a while, but I think
1: that's why. Right, and I think another reason too um, is, is that once they realize that children get so little time to be children, and when you get in big school, I'll call it, um, you have to get down to brass tacks. And kindergarten is not playtime like it used to be. And we want to give them the gift of learning, loving to learn, learning to love to learn. Because if you don't love to learn before you go to big school, you're gonna be turned off from the beginning. If you feel like you have already exhausted all of your patience to sit down and do something. Now that might be a person's interest. And if that's a child's interest, great. That's fine. Every child is different. If they enjoy that kind of thing, that's that can
2: be something that, that can be built on as well. Well, um, I think that people that don't understand it need to look at it as, so you're going to the movies with your friends. Are you going to go to a movie that you have no interest in? Right. Mm-hmm. Why right. would you do that? So why would you have a kid be doing something, learning about something that they really have no interest in that, like, say, when we used to do units every month, like circus unit. What are the kids scared of the circus? Right. They don't want to learn about the circus, you know? Now, I mean, there's kids that do. Right. But it's the same thing. You don't read a book that you have no interest in unless, you know, your professor's and you know, forcing you to. and to be
1: realistic, their children are not going to like every single thing that's put in front of them. No, and they're also, um, they have to come to a point at some time in their life that they.
2: Well, they, they have to. A balance.
1: Right, ex- exactly. Like with everything. But this is the time that they have the freedom to be able to get interested in something specifically and be supported in that interest.
2: Well, and I think as they grow older, it'll give them more. Freedom to take risks and to go after what they want because they were allowed to in those in early years thought. when it's so important to develop that brain mm-hmm. and that personality. That as you get older, it's like on the playground, they like say if kids don't take risks, they're finding that children who did not take risks on playgrounds are not taking risks in their life, mm-hmm. like getting married or investing or going for a new job, right. they're scared of that. And also problem
1: solving is a huge part of that as well because I'm up here in the tree. How am I going to get down? I might have to ask a friend to help me. That's a problem solving skill. Um, I want to build a haunted house, but I don't have all the things I need. Let's see if I can figure this out. And I think that's one of our, uh, unfortunately, things I see in grown ups now it cannot problem solve. Huh. Um, and in by no fault of their own, in some ways, they were never given the the chance to
2: solve their own problems. Well, and and I think that's too. It's partly our fault, as in our generations, mm-hmm. because in the 80s, everybody thought that when we we were saying children needed to make choices, they thought that they just run amok and they get to pick everything. They didn't realize it meant, no, they they get to choose, do you want to play in this center or this center? Not, where do you want to go in the building? Mm -hmm. Right. They were controlled and um, not telling them no was a big mistake, but that's a whole other subject. But um, (laughs) I think now with the regio, it's kind of the same thing in understanding it. It doesn't mean that it's just a free-for-all, that right. they do whatever, or that you let, I mean, you can have more than one subject going on in the room mm-hmm. at the same time, sure. but as the teacher, your job is to control that, mm-hmm. and if the majority of the kids want to talk about shoes, you do the shoes, and maybe next month, all but two of those kids want to talk about something, I mean, it, it changes up, sure. and as so. it's it flow so what and i think what i heard you say was there is a
0: just a tremendous focus on the whole child on all aspects and our goal is to either create or to present all kinds of opportunities for them to develop all the skills we think they might need as they're moving on to kindergarten or for whatever age-appropriate step they're in Mm -hmm. Um, but I think you're right I think that teachers I have seen such a tremendous response I mean you know we've had all kinds of curriculum we we did the themes we had where uh, we were very literacy focused um, and and it kind of ran its course it was like you were only reading the book because that's what was on the paper and that's what you're supposed to read and you are you only did community helpers on Tuesday you talked about construction workers because that was what was in the box that was what was on the paper and um, and some kids were fine with it and some kids were not and so I think the whole with the whole focus and, and and you're right Beth it has taken a lot of time for us to because I think our process was we really focused on our environment,
2: mm-hmm. our
0: beginning environment. I remember uh, when we went through the, all of my um, performance evaluations, and that was the first time that I said you were going to add two things to every classroom. Everybody's adding two things. We're going to have a fan and a lamp. And I remember them going, oh, my gosh, the lamp, well, they're going to break it. We're going to have glass everywhere. Or when we started talking about putting glass jars in the, in the rooms. Oh, my gosh, it's going to, we're you know, we're going to, um, you know, kids Isn't are going to get cut. There's yeah. got to be a rule. Kids There's are going to get cut. Or the sticks, you <laughs> yes, know, somebody's eye was gonna going to get, get put out, you know, <laughs> by allowing children to play with the sticks. And what we learned What us Mm grown-ups learned through that process is it is important to teach kids how best to play with sticks if we see them doing something dangerous. But I don't think any
2: eyes have been put out here.
1: Um, Not yet.
2: I mean, it's it's like people who baby-proof their house and put everything up so Mm -hmm. the kid can't touch anything. Well, that's crazy. How are they going to learn not to touch something if there's nothing there? Beth I mean, did yeah. not mean to call you crazy if you've put
0: everything <laughs> up in your house. <laughs> well, because we I see, know, I mean,
2: you lock up the poison and the knives right, and everything. Right. But if you have a flower arrangement, you teach them that's pretty, you can look at it, but that is something that you cannot touch. Well,
0: and I think the natural consequence piece of this curriculum is huge.
2: Just the natural consequence. I think that's one of the hardest things people have dealing with. Because they don't want the kid to get hurt they don't want right. we don't either. either we want them we don't to get hurt no.
1: well but part of learning is failure you, you're gonna
2: fail i mean you have to fail happen. to learn
0: you're gonna fail a whole lot more right. in life than you're going to, to Which not is fail another
2: lesson you need to learn is that it's okay to fail exactly right and, and life will go
1: on and move on right just like getting back to mother sarah talking about the praying mantis right her babies never hatched we did everything we could as far as um You know, getting on the Internet and finding out what she needed. And Rachel made her cage exactly the way it said and did the things that she should. That did not work out. Sometimes in life that happens. Things don't work out. Right. She passed away. That's the way it happens. And so the fact that they got a healthy dose of that in this environment, and, of course, we communicated with parents through all that and, and let them know what we were doing, You know, that was a wonderful way to just very organically and naturally get into a discussion with children that you might not, you would not plan. Let's talk about bugs dying today. That was not something that you would plan on a calendar right? and then put it in a little box.
0: Well, we didn't plan on how many babies bugs have. That's right. You know, that was, I mean, so there were so many surprises. I want to go back to natural consequences Mm because one of my favorite stories, and I will not name the teacher, Um, But forever, we had had a rule here that children had to go down the slide always feet first. You had to go down the slide feet first. That was the only way you could go down the slide. And we were on it. We made sure there was not ever a child in our care that went down feet first. And I remember when we decided to remove all of the rules on the playground other than, you know, we don't we don't throw rocks i don't remember exactly how we worded it but the rocks stay,
1: stay on, on the ground.
0: ground yes and have fun i think we had two or three rules i think the wheeled items stay well. well we learned that the hard oh, okay. way too thank you oliver <laughs> <Right>. for <clears throat> getting on top of the the berm and r- right. riding down in the wagon with no one right. steering or stopping <laughs> you um, but the, the going back to the slide. Um, so I remember I was out there on the playground when this particular teacher who had been very adamant about children going down feet first. And here we've seen a child heading down the slide head first. And I remember standing there going, because she is fixing to take off, and I'm like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Let's see, let's see what happens. And so the child goes down, we had pea gravel down in the bottom, you know, so that when they did slide down through the bottom, it wasn't a, you know, concrete, piece of concrete down there. Um, but the child just had a face full of gravel. And I remember when he, he got up and he shook and brushed his face off and he went running by me and this teacher and he got, he looks up at us and said, huh, not ever going to do that again. <laughs> And so all of a sudden, it was like things I had been trying to tell this child a million times a day. You let him do it one time, and he learns. Well, I'm not doing that again. That's all it needed. That's all it took was that
2: one. That's what Jeff Foxworthy really said. At that TV on that TV train, they're scared to tip over. <laughs> and if did. he'll learn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, I want to talk about, um, too, about how we, how do you think this particular curriculum teaches respect? Because, you know, that's a hard thing to teach. When you say that is part of our everyday, we hope all of of society, everybody in society has a healthy level of respect for one another. And um, so, how, how do you teach respect
2: through this curriculum? To begin with, the fact that you're listening to the child and respecting their opinion. So recognizing
0: recognizing that the child has a valued opinion.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's being respectful of them.
1: And I think also it shows respect for materials because that is a lot of the things that we, we talk about when we present things is that, we are very free with a lot of things with the children. We want them to experience as much as we can. We go grab what we can, any, from anywhere we can, to to let them the experience be we more enhanced. However, we also want to say, you know, we need to respect our materials. Someone else might want to use this next if it's something that's not disposable. And if we respect our materials. And put them back where they went when we're done. Then someone else can enjoy it. And I think it because they have an investment in whatever it is. They have maybe gathered a few things together and done that, and then then they have respect for those materials because they put them back where they go, um, or they have built something out of them. If it's a project where they're they're building a a tower or a haunted house or whatever it is. <laughs> then they can respect what those materials made. And we don't just wad them up and throw them in the trash can or um, that kind of thing. Because unless that's their choice, if they're done and that's their choice, okay, that's fine. But I believe that as we honor what they have built and investigated and learned from their investigations, then we can... Have more respect for them, and then they respect us for letting them do that.
0: Well, and I think there it brings also because we do reuse, repurpose a lot, and Mm -hmm. so that right there is teaching respect for our planet, and Mm -hmm. you know that things have purpose. Right. You know, different things might have, and it and it causes us to really use our creativity and imagination Mm -hmm. and all of those those pieces so you talked a, a little bit about the when a child creates something how how I want to I want to move into like how do we capture how if I'm a parent and I'm enrolled here how do I know what's going on in the classroom how do I what is there I know we do have a documentation piece or is it the way that items are displayed how do I know if I'm just somebody who's not familiar with Reggio Amelia how can I see how can I spot wow look at the learning that went on today
1: well all of the above um, different teachers have different ways of, of getting the story out um, that's pretty much what we call it we want to tell the story and yes it it would be great if everyone had a little eye that they could see into every uh, experience that the children are, are doing but what we do here at Glen Levin is that we do ask the teachers to put on their their blackboard outside their room the, the things that are going to be going on during the week. Um, they may have a day attached to them and they may not because it's fluid. As Miss Beth was saying before, um, it might change as the weeks go on. There are a few things that are rocks in our schedule, like our chapel day and that kind of thing. But other than that, we're very fluid with what goes on. Um, so also in their lesson planning book, right outside their door, um, they have information there about their weekly schedule. And, again, that is flexible as well. And um, so they you can look at that to kind of get an idea of what's coming up or maybe what's being investigated or presented to the children. And then also there are pages there um, they call – observation of provocation pages which is provocation is a big word just to say um, you know things items that are presented to the children to provoke their interest Mm -hmm. Um, and there would be summaries and stories based on that on the observations of the teacher but one of the greatest ways is is pictures Um, we have technology now that offers us to be able to take photos during the day. We, we have the Facebook page that is a private page that we don't share um, all the pictures of the children on our personal pages. We, Of course, we get permission from the parents with that as well um, on our, our Facebook page. But, and also, um, not just that, but you'll see in a lot of classrooms, most classrooms, um, if not all, pictures on the wall Uh, You might see pictures of a particular um, activity that occurred or a project that was going on. Um, And they would have comments and quotes and things like that beside that so people can see what went on. Um, And again, you may not ever see a piece of paper that comes home that the child has created of what they did that day or a, a perfectly little perfect little craft item. You might some, but it's going to be their work. Um, And so a lot of the learning that goes on is not going to be tangible at the end of the day, but it's going to be in their
0: head and their brain. So it's more process than outcome. It's the process of... Rather than product. Than the product. Because I know, and and Beth, you're really good at understanding this, um, that there is a difference between... A a provocation or learning experience versus a craft, yeah, yes.
1: teacher led or
0: y- yes. So, do you want to talk about the teacher led or the craft project versus, and why do we do that?
2: Why do we do both?
0: Why do we have uh, craft projects in addition to our learning
2: experiences? What what's um, well? I think part of the reason we have craft projects just because, as adults, we do like something tangible. Well, that's I mean, true. The parents and even the teachers. Well, if it's teacher-led, if they're, if that's a rule-following skill that yes. they also need. Yes, to learn. I mean that's another reason um, to to follow the rules, to do it in a certain order, or to find out if the child knows where eyeballs go, where whether your nose is. So following um, directions. Following mm-hmm. directions and. Learning what the child knows already are some reasons, um, and you know they're cute. But um, yeah, you need something to hang on the refrigerator. <laughs> you know, after all. Right. But when we let them explore by themselves, I don't know. My favorite part of that is watching them. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah. not even what they get done with.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: But it's watching them. When they first get paint on their hand and they look at you because they think that they're going to get called out, Mm -hmm. and you just smile at them, and so then they get more paint on their hand. The next thing you know, they've painted their hand and then they're putting it on the paper Mm -hmm. and they turn around at you and grin. That's worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're learning so much. I mean, it's sensory, and what's happening.
0: Just keep going. I'll edit um, that out.
2: It's it's sensory, it's fine motor. I mean, it's just it's colors. It's I so, just can't even think of it. So
0: do you think like even two month olds benefit from this curriculum? Yes. Absolutely. So, can you can you think of something that's happened here that really saying mm-hmm. yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm, I'm anticipating your question. Go you right ahead, and ahead. Finish your question. No, I would just I can you can you explain? Because to me, I learn best through hearing the stories, mm-hmm. and there's we have so many. I mean, we have just so many experiences since we have stopped and started looking at what kids are teaching us. And figuring out where do we go next, but go ahead talk about how little the littlest. Well, the of littlest
1: our... of our our uh, group here, of course, we take them at six weeks old. But if you see a child, a baby sitting or just having tummy time on top of a mirror and they see themselves, that is amazing to me to see what how they react to just seeing themselves. Um, in the nursery, we have a mirror above the changing table. Some of them are even too young to see that far up yet, but whenever they do, when they discover themselves in that mirror, it is amazing to see their little faces, mm-hmm. and one of the other things in the nursery I have really enjoyed is is watching the educators watch the children, and they go, oh, do you see that? Did you see them? Did you see what they did? They love to put things in things, and one year, it might have been last year, because that little group that was in there... Um, and they're still doing it actually this purposes. year with the purses. They were had them all on their wrists and that same little group of children that's now moved up, they're all into babies and putting things in things. And a very simple act like that can be just sort of brushed over and not even thought of as being anything. But when you take it apart and think about what's being learned just in that one little action and mm-hmm. what skill is being learned um, balance even skills. of holding all those things all the skills right how much right. it will
0: fit and we right. yeah science, spatial awareness science and, and transporting math and, yes
2: and can't, compassion because they all want those babies wrapped right. and they and yeah. they're loving on them and they it's got just, their purses packed full of stuff
0: i think one of my favorite stories in the nursery is when oliver um, mm-hmm. who was born without sight And I remember when he was just starting to figure out how to crawl. Do you remember he used to always gravitate to one area that seemed to be underfoot for everybody? we were like, why do you keep coming over to this one spot? And you're right here. You know, we're we're always worried about stepping on him. And then somebody figured out after watching him enough that, and we know now that he is, you know, in, in, first grade I guess the honors in first grade that he did have the ability to see light Mm -hmm. and he would get himself over to any ray of sunshine on the floor Mm -hmm. and we didn't figure that out right away we just kept thinking he's trying to get up underfoot Mm -hmm. and um, you know I just think about how we responded after we figured out and we couldn't figure it out until we stopped and watched him enough to get to that place. Then we bought everything we could that had light. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every joy, yeah, every, everything. Everything. And, and honestly, all the kids benefited from yes, that. I mean, did. we we learned so much from...
2: The that. first thing I noticed with him was Janice had on a pair of black socks that had a sunshine that was bright yellow on the ankle. And every time she sat on the floor, he would go for her ankle and hit it. And wow. I was like, why is he doing that? And then I realized mm-hmm. it's because he could see the yellow. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it, We really have to pay attention to what our kids yes, are telling absolutely. us and respond. And I think that is is what has been a uh, wonderful for us to discover. Mm-hmm. Even educators who've been here forever, we right. can we can still get excited about the way kids learn. Um, I wanted to go back. You had talked about provocations, mm-hmm. which comes from the word provoke. Mm-hmm which is what we really are, are doing. And I think one of my favorite, when you were in a classroom several years ago and you did an, uh, set up an experience with rolls of toilet paper and spray bottles. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And um, it was one of the and,
1: first ones I did, I think. Yes, and I,
0: was... and I remember you were so discouraged that day because the kids didn't touch mm-hmm. it. They act like it wasn't even there. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, but you didn't give up because you felt like there was still some, uh, that was a medium that we could use. And I remember, what was it the next day or the, a couple of days later, you unrolled days. the toilet mm-hmm. paper off of the rolls. And and Pound when they started up. spraying it with the water, they were able to mish it and mm-hmm. make something. But we, we, I don't know if you remember the conversation that we had around that was going, do you think maybe they've gotten in trouble because they've unrolled the toilet yes. paper at home? And that's why it that's was, well, cool. it was,
1: it's one of those taboo items in that. Well, you know, when you're at home, you don't want to sit there. You want them to pull it all right. out, you know, right. two squares. That's all you get. Right. And that's when we have to change our framing of our mind too. It's like this, I am inviting you to, this is your opportunity to play with toilet mm. paper. You might not ever get to do this. Again, but you get to do it now, of course you can.
2: But Well, it teaches them limits, too, yes. because then you talk to them about the fact, we're doing this here mm-hmm. now for a special thing, but don't do that at home without permission. Right, right. Because we will we'll be in trouble. Well, and the thing is, too, I think
1: one of the hardest things to get past when you are presenting those types of learning experiences is that you have to get out of your own comfort zone. If you're a person that doesn't like mess or disorder, You have to be able to allow them to discover. Now, you still want to respect the space. You want to respect um, the, you know, because you're going to have to clean it up. You know, you're going to have to help assist in that, um, you being the child.
0: But don't you think finding the value in the learning is, it makes all that work absolutely it. when you it does. really see the value in what they're learning through that process right it really does make i i remember my <clears throat> going back to the very first beginning new, you know I'm, I'm a director i'm constantly looking for resources and i had uh, colleagues we had a director support group meeting i know that Sounds but that's what it was <laughs> called. Their director support group. We need support. No,
1: you and
0: need. Um, we were at Spring Hollow and that was where it which was a child care center in Franklin and we had our meeting there and the kids were there at the center and we were on the like a patio place and the kids had built a cardboard city. It was amazing. This was a city. And I remember I was sitting on backwards on the edge of a picnic table, and there was a tape dispenser right beside me. And this little fella come up and grabbed the piece of tape without cutting it off and just took off. I bet he got a good 10 feet, the, the rolling, all the way out. And I'm just sitting there in amazement because nobody said, don't do that. Don't, no, uh, no, mm, no. All my life, I have wanted to grab a piece of tape and run across the room. And I remember on the way home, on the way back here, because I call this home because we're here so much, but on the way back to Glen Levin, I stopped and got tape dispensers for every classroom. And I remember saying, we will buy as much tape as we need. Do not limit their tape. And um, so it's so funny to stop and think back of where, how, where we started or what was influential to us um, through that process. Um, so I just, I, I want to uh, start wrapping up a little bit, and I, I, I think for parents or anyone who might be listening, I think one of the important things for us to close with is uh, a list of skills that we feel might, that are, that are being developed through this type of curriculum. And I wrote down a couple that I think we already have talked about because the social, um, you know, being able to engage socially and, and have those conversations, um, the cooperation piece, problem solving, um, creativity, imagination, um, following directions. What other skills do you all think that is being developed or that it's important to be developed through this curriculum? Well,
1: um, I know gross motor is a huge skill. When our, we have our all-natural play space, because there's not a not a lot of containment. There's no you know things to to sit in, you know, much, and um, they run and play and um, create outside too. And I think they use their gross motor a lot more than they would if they had um, sort of a finite type experience on a right. playground. Right. Um, I mean. I think they just, I think that's one of the skills that they really learn. And sensory, too. Sensory is a big one. Sensory. I think um, so many of our invitations to learning
0: are based around that. And you know, we hear that all the time sensory, sensory exploration. And why is that important? What do I need that for as an adult?
1: Well, it, it helps you. Um, interpret your surroundings Uh, it's not just what you touch it's what you hear see feel smell uh, smell all of those um, senses are awakened and um, for especially for some getting back to someone who has limits in their sight or their hearing you know they have different ways of exploring their environment and it gives them an opportunity to explore it in a way that maybe it's a sensitivity that they have that they're getting more comfortable with. Maybe they need to work through that so they can get to a place. And also, when you're manipulating things, that's helping your, your uh, fingers and your the, the muscles in your hands get ready for writing.
0: Um, and we haven't even talked about brain so, development. Oh, that I may be a whole nother podcast to yeah, talk about the, that.
1: The, just
0: everything. Well, I love this curriculum because I think for everybody in the building, I think it puts us in a place where we have to develop those uh, critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. And we have to make a connection from A to B about why playing in the mud is a good Mm -hmm. idea. Parents have to make those. We have to make those. Children have to understand that. Mm -hmm. And I think when you start thinking about all of the things that we need to be a productive citizen (laughs) yes in in this in this Mm -hmm. world we have to be able to collaborate and work with others Mm -hmm. we have to have the social skills to be able to communicate effectively Uh, we have to solve problems I've never had one day in my whole life that I have not had to solve a problem some
2: are big problems some are small problems and a lot a lot um, knowing my best friend is a first grade teacher that is one of her biggest things that she has trouble with with her students is they cannot solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about a math problem. I'm talking about they can't get their pencil box open to get their scissors out, and they can't even ask for help, let alone right. try to figure out how to get it open themselves because they haven't had the opportunity to practice that skill. Right, right. Well, I
0: just, I, I feel like that, uh, I mean, right now, and, you know, I, I love that we are emergent Mm -hmm. and that we constantly review, is this the best for kids? Mm -hmm. Is this what we need? You know, is this the environment we need to create for kids? And I, I am just, I feel very confident in what we do and how we do that. Um, And, and to be able to explain it. I mean, there, you can Google Reggio Emilia and there's a million explanations if, if that's something that, you know, that you're wanting to find out more about. But it, the more I learn about it, the more I want to know about it. And I don't think we'll ever get to the end. There will never be a time that I will say, we're done. This is We've learned everything we need to know. And that's exciting yes. as an almost 60-year-old mm-hmm. person that there is still something for me to learn. And I hope Certainly. my kids leave and feel that way for the rest of their lives, that there's always something to learn.
1: And we want them to leave 11 excited to learn more. Yes. We don't want want to stop here. We want them to continue and continue on to whatever wonderful thing they're going to do and and find well, how to find it. Speak,
2: yes. Yeah, speaking of that, I'll backtrack just a little and say that I think with the Reggio curriculum, it's easier to find out those kids. Who needs special help in certain areas? That's a great point. Or, what it, it's easier to work with them
0: to identify those
2: because, mm-hmm. you know, you know that they're not interested in a certain thing because say that they can't stand loud noises. Mm-hmm. Well, then you can do something else with them, and you're not moving away from the curriculum. It's right. just another aspect of the curriculum. And another
1: way to learn, and, and yes. give them an opportunity to learn in a different way. It
2: gives you the freedom to
1: do that. Yes. Agreed.
0: Well, I want to thank you all for taking time today and uh, having the opportunity to sit down. And we hope that this is going to serve as a resource. We hope you've learned a little bit more about Reggio. I've learned more just sitting here talking uh, talking about it. So thank you all for joining us. And we tune in for our next podcast and uh, this is something exciting for us that we're starting. And thank you for listening to episode number one.
2: be and we'll build love from the ground up, for worse or for better. And I will be
0: all you need beside you, outstanding.
2: Love from the ground up. This life will go by in the big of an eye, but I wouldn't wanna spend it without you by my side. The clouds are gonna roll, the earth's gonna shake, but I'll be a shelter through the wind and the rain, and we. We'll